Support for Talking Art comes from Quad City Bank and Trust, providing consumer and commercial banking as well as trust and asset management. For more information, visit qcbt.bank or stop by one of QCBT's five locations. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Jaron Michelle and McKenna Kosky about their upcoming performance in the play Stop Kiss at the Playcrafters Barn Theater this weekend, June 16th through 18th. Thanks for joining us, Jaron and McKenna. It's, I'm super excited, and I'm super excited to be here with McKenna. Yay, I'm so excited. <laughs> Stop Kiss was written by the playwright Diana Sun and first performed back in 1998. After so many weeks in rehearsal, how have you come to understand the two main characters that you play, Callie and Sarah? And Jaren, let's start with you. Yeah, I, you know, I was, I've been saying to my peers recently that I feel like in the very beginning, I got really in my head about like, how am I going to play Callie? And then as we started to do more and more character work and, you know, asking those questions about, you know, like, where does she come from? Like, what did, what kind of things does she like? The line between Jared and Callie became very blurry <laughs> uh, to the point where like, it, she just really, it kind of feels like I'm playing me a little bit. I just feel such a kinship with her in the way that, you know, she's kind of a mess. Like, definitely, I think, undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> um, and just, like, all over the place. has got a lot of energy and maybe doesn't always know what to do with that energy. I think she feels very sort of locked up by the bigness of the world and all the possibilities of things she could do with her life and doesn't really know what exactly her heart wants yet. Um, and I think as she meets Sarah, she starts to sort of, I think she feels very inspired by Sarah um, mm -hmm. and sort of gets a little bit direct, a little bit more direction through that relationship. Mm -hmm. And this is based in New York City, correct? Yes. And Callie, your character works as a traffic reporter. She does, yes. How is it that she interacts and comes to meet Sarah? Yeah, so they meet because Sarah is brand new to New York City and Callie. They have some sort of distant connection through like a friend of a friend of someone someone used to be friends with. And Sarah is new to New York and must be living in an apartment where she's not allowed to have her cat, Caesar. Ah, oh. boohoo. And so <laughs> Callie is taking care of Caesar for Sarah. Uh-huh. So McKenna, tell us a little bit about Sarah, your character. Yes, so Sarah is originally from St. Lewis, Missouri. She lived there her whole life up until this point. Um, she works now in the Bronx as a teacher. She teaches third grade. Um, she actually got this job through a fellowship, so she applied and competed against other teachers to get the opportunity to work at this school. So Sarah is definitely a go-getter, very driven, very, I would say, inspired by her own vision and wants, sees the, not only sees the light at the end of the tunnel, but knows how to get to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I find that really inspiring and really cool. Um, but she's also, I think, a little bit too optimistic at times. You know, mm -hmm. she's coming to a big city, and obviously St. Louis isn't small or anything like that, but she's coming to the city where she doesn't know anybody, and it may not have those same quote-unquote Midwestern sensibilities as Missouri does, where people smile at you on the street and strangers help you out in the grocery store. Um, and I think that's a bit of a rude awakening for her. Mm -hmm. 
but it's something that I definitely resonate with a lot. I'm originally from Michigan. I just moved to um, Iowa three years ago in the Quad Cities six months ago or so. So that feeling of kind of shaking off your past and starting fresh, I very much resonate with. And Mm -hmm. I think it's what kind of had me to have a similar kinship with my character where, yeah, the line between McKenna and Sarah has gotten very, very blurry. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm not surprised that's happened because you've, you spend so much time working on this character. So, so Sarah, again, is, is very passionate and idealistic and without giving away too much of the play, what are the central themes? I'd say like the real central kind of resounding theme is relationships, you know, how they are formed, how they fall apart and kind of how they evolve over time. You know, we have these two women who come together under, I don't know if I'd call it a meet cute if there's a cat involved, but something of a meet cute, (laughs) um, kind of just through weird circumstances and develop what starts as a friendship and kind of blossoms more as they get to know each other but in the background you also have these other relationships that each of these women have that start to fall apart or change over time because of the relationship they're developing Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that and I think um something just something else that I would add is sort of the different ways that tragedy can bring people together and also pull people apart Mm -hmm. um it's it's definitely a show about a show about relationships Mm -hmm. that, and that's, that's absolutely at the forefront and, and the different ways that, yeah, that, that moving and the tragedy and that the things that happen to you also happen to your relationships and the people around you. Mm -hmm. So there is a central traumatic event, which we won't talk about because I don't want to spoil the play for those people who don't know much about it. Um, But there is violence against women that occurs, Mm -hmm. uh, violence against the LGBTQ community. Um, And, you know, one thing I was surprised at that, that it's such a pertinent topic. Unfortunately, so much of that violence still exists. But despite a central tragedy occurring in this play, there are surprisingly some comedic elements in this play. So how does that work? And how is it incorporated? It's so like it's a little bit whiplashy to play to play it like as an actor <laughs> at times because the so the the way that the show is kind of structured is you have one scene that takes place sort of quote unquote in the past um, when or before the tragedy I should say when Sarah and Callie are just meeting and their relationship is starting to blossom and then you'll have a scene that takes place post traumatic event um, so like. After, you know, it's you've got a lot of scenes like in the hospital, things like that. Um, and so you you immediately go from so, this sort of like warm to cold, like light to dark um, scene after scene. Um, and it, it's really it's a really fun challenge f- uh, for me, at least. And I think we're working with a really awesome cast um, and those those really deeply emotional parts are just as fun as the funny parts because like everybody's just been so great to work with and the funny parts are super funny oh yeah absolutely and I think what's so interesting too is that obviously yeah we've talked there's a central tragedy to this play and it is very dark and sad to think about and the scenes where we are discussing it are are dark but Mm -hmm. I think having those kind of moments of comedy and lightheartedness and fun intermixed with this dark I think it makes it if not more memorable at least a little bit easier to digest for mm-hmm. audiences yeah. otherwise it would be it would just be so hard to sit through 
yeah, and I wonder if you if you remember it more, you can you just have simply more to reflect on. But I'm guessing that must be hard as an actor, um, going back and forth between humor and and sadness. Yeah, it's definitely challenging as an as an actor. It's a fun challenge though. Is it really it stretches your range as an actor, but I also think it's it's easy, at least for me as an actor speaking, it's easy for me to kind of get stuck in a headspace when I'm acting. Um, so kind of having to constantly shuffle back and forth between light and dark, it snaps me back to the reality uh-huh. of what's going on. Yeah. Well, besides going back and forth between lightness and darkness, between sadness and, and humor, it also this play also goes back and forth uh, it sounds like in time. So most plays, of course, mo- most stories run in chronological order from a beginning to a middle to an end. But the playwright, Diana Sun, wrote this without a straight timeline. Do you think this technique of hers makes the storytelling more effective at all? Ooh, that's a good question. That is a good question. I do think that... I do think that it definitely makes it more engaging for the audience. Mm-hmm. I think that if we were to watch this story fold out chronologically, I don't think it'd be quite as impactful, um, especially because, especially the scenes that take pa- take place in the past before the tragedy occurs, there's kind of an undefined amount of time that takes place. So mm-hmm. you can envision it in your mind as being as short or as long as you want it to be. You know, it could have taken place over a month or a year. Um, whereas the current time, the post-tragedy, or pre- yeah, post-tragedy, it's a much quicker timeline. Um, as things are being understood and resolved and dealt with, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if we were to try to map it all out chronologically, some of that end part would lose some of its impact. Because yeah. it's such a short piece of the timeline. So the playwright's spending more time then letting the audience know and get to understand the ins and outs of these two characters that, that, that you're playing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I would, like agree with everything that McKenna just said and like just to add to that I really love the way I really love the order in which she placed all of the scenes and the way that past and present or pre and post are interacting together Mm. um I like I noticed the other night in rehearsal as we were going through this particular scene where Sarah and Callie are hanging out they're hanging out at Callie's apartment and sort of like talking about the ways in which one interacts with like big city homeless population in New York City and I was like oh my gosh this is totally foreshadowing for what's gonna happen later Um, and I was like that's just so cool and so like she you can tell she was so very intentional about the way these scenes are written and how they interact with each other one after another Mm -hmm. and I just really appreciated that. I'm just wondering as an audience member how do you realize sitting in the in the in the stands watching this how do you realize that you're going back and forth in time oh that's a good question i think because a lot of like i think just because of the setting a lot of the um after tragedy scenes like take place in the hospital Mm -hmm. in fact i think they all take place in the hospital um and then most of the actually now that i'm thinking about it the whole show kind of takes place in just to in just to play well there's like two other the most of the show takes place in either the hospital or in Callie's apartment mm-hmm. um and the scenes that take place in Callie's apartment are before the tragedy the scenes that take place in the hospital are obviously after the tragedy and we kind of uh sort of work with the 
stage, I think, to communicate that as well. Like the scenes that are in Callie's apartment are um, much farther upstage. That's where that part of the set is. And then in the hospital, we're further downstage as well. Yeah. So you have to get very creative with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, who's the director for this production? The director is Erica Seabloom. They're doing an absolutely wonderful job. They're actually a a friend of mine. Uh, We Mm -hmm. knew each other. We went to college together. um, And just uh, the way like their whole heart is in this show and you can I really think you'll be able to see that when we perform it Absolutely. Um, it's just, it's been such a such a passion project I think for I think for Erica and and for the two of us as well um it's I it's been awesome getting to work and just for me personally it's been really cool getting to work in a professional setting with this person that I've known only personally in the past um and I've always known that Erica was super talented but getting to actually work with them and um see because a director has to wear so many different hats right and be Mm. creative in so many different ways and Erica is absolutely living up to that potential absolutely yeah I'd say from auditions they've had a very clear vision about how they the emotions they want to evoke in this show and the way they want things to look and feel both for us as actors and for the people in the audience. And they've done such an amazing job of translating that onto the stage. Hmm. Were there personal challenges for you with this production? Uh, It sounds like there was a lot of um, set design and your work hard at work on that now Mm -hmm. too. And I should say that um, listeners should know that besides acting, you are hard at work. Um, you have been hard at work creating the actual sets. We're we're trying. I think we're trying to help out McKenna and I wherever we <laughs> wherever we can because because you know it is this is a community a small community theater project and a big part of that is kind of having our grubby little mitts on a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I I grew up in community theater. That's the majority of the productions that I did growing up and it is a labor of love you know even as an actor you're helping build set you're helping find costumes you're striking set at the end you're you're you are putting your grubby little mitts into everything you possibly can (laughs) and yeah I'd say that if I had to think of what would be probably the most challenging aspect of the show so far is just sort of not only understanding the character but just the thought processes that happen before and after the tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously something very terrible happens in this show and it is not only difficult for the audience to witness at times, but it's also difficult to be an actor up there metaphorically living it, you know, having to slip into that mindset of my character at times. It is, it is very emotionally taxing and demanding, but I think it's such an important story to be telling, you know, given that we do still have violence against women being very prevalent, very, lots of violence against the LGBTQ community still being incredibly, incredibly prevalent right now. Mm-hmm. As somebody who's been openly queer identifying since I was 15, being in a show like this has always been a dream of mine, getting to tell a queer story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, real kudos to the Playcrafters Barn Theater for putting this on, because I think, yes. uh, cu- you know, current modern productions are necessary. Now, this was written in 1998, so it's it's not brand new, but it is new to our community. Mm-hmm. And um, Playcrafters has something called the Barn Owl Series, which is bringing theater that's new. Again, it's debuting here. It's an area debut, so it's included um, in that. So they're bringing theater that's new um, to to our community for people to hear, for us to think about these topics and 
for people to feel included in as, as actors. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so exciting to have a show like this at a time like this. And yeah, the Barn Owl series, is it's a fantastic opportunity not only for directors to bring new theater to the Quad Cities, to the Playcrafters stage, but for actors to get to do a show that maybe they haven't heard of before, maybe mm-hmm. maybe aren't as familiar with as some of the big hitters that you that people tend to cycle through every so often. Yeah. And it's worth noting, um, we keep, you know, we keep talking about how, you know, violence against women, violence against the queer community is so prevalent today. This show was written in or first performed in 1998, but Diana Sun specifically wrote in that it should, whoever is putting on this production, it should take place in your time. It should take place now because it, you know, it hasn't got, it hasn't gone away fingers crossed it will go away someday but so so that was another challenge as well was sort of bringing that from 1998 to 2023 because the world has changed in ways that I don't think anybody could have imagined (laughs) from 1998 to now um but yeah so it's definitely worth noting that 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 was a very that was a very intentional choice by the playwright Mm -hmm. as well yeah uh I didn't know much about the playwright Diana Sun until I started learning about this production. And it's really an incredible story and also a testament to community theater because she had never been in a theater until her senior year of high school and then went and saw a production of Hamlet, I read, and subsequently decided to study theater at New York University. Oh, that's amazing. I have yeah, no idea. It is. So it's just, you know, one of those things why why community theater is so important here and and the Playcrafters Barn Theater is also such a unique venue for us. It's it's been around for nearly 100 years. Mm-hmm. It's for people if they've not been there before, it's surprising you drive through this residential neighborhood and then you come across it's aptly named it's a barn uh that that (laughs) that it's that the you know the theater's housed inside so it's it's such a unique space it is it's really cool and it's an extra element of challenge because it's a a thrust style which basically means you have audiences on three side not you're not like surrounded on all four sides of the square by audience but you've got is it Hmm. I'm struggling to do geometry right now. You've got audience on three. You've got audience in front of you and on your sides. Yes, <laughs> that's what the, the geometry math is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you also have to, you know, sort of take into account. You know, you're not just looking in one direction. There's not just audience in front of you. You have to keep in mind the people on your sides and the people, you know, who and you know the way that that theater is also set up is there's seats like in very far corners of the space as well. So if someone chooses to sit in that farthest corner, you've got to keep that in mind when you're on the stage and how much harder to see for that particular audience member. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think what's so cool about it too, though, is that it makes it feel a lot more intimate. Obviously, you know, it is still, Mm. it is still theater, but having this thrust section of the stage where you really are almost surrounded, it's just shy of being theater in the round it makes you it makes you feel very connected with your audience and with and with whatever's happening around you and i think that's so exciting i love the intimacy of community theater i love feeling that connection with the audience so i'm i'm very stoked for people to come out and see this show yeah well mckenna and jaren i'm i'm also so interested in hearing a little bit more about you personally mckenna you said you've been involved in community theater for a while so when did when did that happen yeah so i got involved in theater when i was about halfway through high school, I want to say I was about 15 or 16 years old. And I was a very shy, awkward, nerdy kid 
who hated public speaking, but I loved performing. I was in marching band and was in the color guard, and I knew I loved performing, dance, and that kind of stuff. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll give theater a try. And I, I fell in love with it. I did a lot of productions back in my hometown through community theater and through my high school. And then I took what I think, if I did the math right in my head, was about a seven-year break um, to get my degree in chemical engineering and to move out here and start my career. So this year is my first year back on stage. It's a little bit intimidating, but it's been absolutely thrilling. Yeah, well, fantastic. I wonder how many chemical engineers are up on stage each I'll, night. I'm, I will have to run the numbers. <laughs> <Do a survey. laughs> and Jaren, when did you first become an become involved in theater? I feel like a bit of a late bloomer as a theater person. Uh, let's see, short version. I really wanted, I've, I've always been interested in theater from the time I was a little, little kid. And my family made a point to like take me to a lot of community theater productions. Like I remember seeing Guys and Dolls at Music Guild when I was a little kid. Um, and I, when I got into high school, I moved from a very small school to a very large school, uh, Pleasant Valley, and just found it very difficult to get involved at that point um, in my sort of high school career being brand new and all that stuff. Um, and then just sort of like forgot about it. It kind of just fell out, of, fell off my radar. I kind of wrote it off as just like, oh, that's not something that I do. And then I got into college and I just, I on a whim kind of took an acting, a beginner's acting class at St. Ambrose um, just to sort of get some credits and uh, had the opportunity to audition for the one act plays for the directing class. And that was my June, well, my first senior year, I did it two. I did two senior years at St. Ambrose. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So like one of my last years of college was when I really kind of got my start and I got to do, I got to do like three one acts and then one, um, sort of long form, uh, black box show while I was there. So this is like maybe show four or five for me that I've ever done. Um, and I think, well, I think probably the biggest, like mo the biggest challenge that I think I've had so far in my, in my sort of theater repertoire mm. and the career. biggest roles. Yeah. Would I would I think, say for me. Yeah. For me, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm also curious, how do you manage to do this while maintaining your full-time jobs? <laughs> <laughs> I've had two people comment in the last week that I've lost weight. And I'm like, thanks. I'm, I don't have as much time to eat as I used to. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and it's, it's definitely, you know, something that I've not had to do yet as an adult. I'm only 25. Um, so it's, this is definitely not something that I've had to do yet as an adult. And I've definitely been, you know, thinking to myself, like, I, I love this so passionately, but how, you know, what am I going to need to do in order to keep myself healthy? Cause I also have like chronic health issues and things like that. And so I'm, I, I really do have to sort of like seriously think like, what do I have to do to keep myself healthy so that I can continue doing this? Um, and WVIK shout out to my workplace. They're, uh, super level, like absolutely great and supportive. Um, and you know, are more willing to work with me and not like penalize me for needing to be gone for like show nights and things like that. So thank you, Jared Johnson, for being a wonderful <laughs> person to work for. <laughs> Yeah, definitely is challenging, you know, kind of maintaining that work-life theater balance. Um, and it's definitely something that I think, you know, when I first moved out here almost, I guess, three years ago today was my first day living in Aww. Iowa when I moved to Iowa City three years ago. I don't think I could have handled it back then just because I was very new in my job, didn't know what I was doing, kind of running around 
putting out fire metaphorical fires i'm not a firefighter they don't <laughs> let me put out actual fires for a good reason but they do let you use power tools they do sometimes i do sometimes get to use power tools <laughs> um but yeah it is definitely challenging at times kind of finding that balance and I don't personally struggle with chronic health issues, but I do struggle with ADHD, Um, kind of that executive dysfunction, the challenges with prioritizing and multitasking. It definitely can wear on you at times, but I think I'm also a victim of when I love something, I don't care if it takes away my sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I also, I'm, I'm very grateful that my partner works nights. So I go to work during the day and he gets to watch the dog. And then I come home and I watch the dog and I go to rehearsal while he works. So having kind of those different schedules has helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also nice, you know, you get home at, from rehearsal at 10 and my, the dog's just like, Hey, missed you mom. And I'm like, I missed you too, buddy. <laughs> I love Finn. He's a good boy. <laughs> well, it's quite a balancing act. It sounds like, but your passion and enthusiasm is certainly shining through. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Jaren Michelle and McKenna Kosky, thank you for talking today, and I hope you have a successful final weekend run. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you. Don't miss the opportunity to see Stop Kiss at the Playcrafters Barn Theater in Moline this weekend, June 16th through 18th. The production is rated R. Friday and Saturday performances begin at 7.30 p.m. and the Sunday matinee is at 3 p.m. For tickets, visit playcrafters.com. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities, for WVIK. Our theme music is provided by a Quad City legend, the late Ellis Cal.